Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud or iTunes and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Michael Brennan, the political editor of the Sunday Business Post newspaper, who's written a book called In Deep Water, which focuses on a recent controversy that divided Ireland, the water charges. The book offers an objective blow-by-blow account of why Irish water was set up, how the situation got so out of control, and why the government finally backed down on this contentious issue. Michael, I suppose before we discuss the book, let's put some context on your own background. You're from Galway and you did a degree in journalism in DCU. So was journalism always on the agenda? I, I have to say, um, when I when I started off, I was in national school, grew up in a place called Milltown in Galway and went to a, a school in Kilbannon, which is quite near in Galway as well. My mother was a teacher there, but I had a fantastic national school teacher called Frank Mullen, still out there. He's now retired, but he got us watching RT61 News, taking down news reports and doing our own our own versions of stories as well. That was probably the first journalism I did and I actually really enjoyed it. And it went on there through secondary school and so on. And I decided to apply to go to DCU in Dublin to do their journalism course. And that was a fantastic course. Four years, it's since been cut back to three. But I, I learned a hell of a lot there and I went out from there then into the media world. And it just goes to show how instrumental dedicated school teachers can be in shaping somebody. Yeah, like it's absolutely true. And I, I mentioned in the acknowledgements of the book, another English teacher had a, a guy called Porrick Nolan, uh, who unfortunately has since passed away. He was in St. Charles College in Tume and he was a fantastic English teacher. He loved uh, Faulty Towers and poetry and novels. And he just gave us a fantastic appreciation for, for the English language. And I suppose I always, like so many people, hoped I'd get a chance to put that into practice and, and do a book. And, and all of those people and those teachers were definitely very helpful. And when you left college then, you went into radio first, did you? Um, I, I was doing sort of, as you do when you're starting in journalism, you pick up work wherever you can. So during my summers in DCU, I worked with the likes of Midwest Radio as a GA sports reporter. I'm a, a big GA fan, obviously, and played football at a low level when I was younger. And that taught me the importance of accuracy. You know, if you Absolutely. got a, a name wrong in live radio, if you pronounced it wrong, you would get uh, you would get told off by the presenter and told to get it right. So it's a great training, I think, for any journalist. And you moved into print then after that? Yeah, when I came out of DCU, I went down to the Irish Examiner in Cork for a job interview as a sub-editor, which wasn't really what I wanted to do, no disrespect to sub-editors. But you um, wanted to get your foot in the door. Exactly. Um, and at the end of the interview, um, a guy there called Brian Carroll, who was the deputy editor at the paper at the time, said, I don't think you'd be a good sub-editor, but we'll give you a go as a reporter. And it was two-week trial. I, I did my two weeks and began three and four. And I ended up spending two years in the examiner. So they were great to me. I got a great start there um, at the time. And as you say, a really strong training ground. And when did the politics come into it? So I, I suppose I was always interested in politics, but I started as a general reporter and I did two years then with the Press Association, moved from that to the Irish Independent. And within about a couple of months, I got a chance to go up to the Dáil, to Leinster House, to start doing political coverage. 
after that thankfully I got a job as political correspondent and and that really was a start for around the 2007 general election It's a tough beat politics it's constant certainly when the doll is sitting it's 24-7 Yeah it, it is very constant I would say the only thing more constant is being a TD or a minister where I would not uh, make any bones about it their job is much harder than being a political correspondent because the demands are endless I met recently a councillor uh, out during uh, a holiday break in Leitrim and it was about 11 o'clock at night and a woman came up to him and said, you still haven't fixed that thing that you were supposed to fix for me. So that that's the always on nature of politics. But it's it's a great uh, area to cover because it it's everything. People say I'm not interested in politics, but politics is everything from your road to your school, to your water, to your housing. So you're never bored in terms of stuff to cover. And do you ever feel, you know, you have a ringside seat in, you know, history in the making? Yeah, you absolutely do. Um, like I, I think I remember rushing out of bed one morning for we were told an announcement that uh, Bertie Hearn as Taoiseach was going to make in 2008 and we all rushed into government buildings and he walked down the stairs and said, I'm, I'm quitting, I'm retiring. And that was that was a historic moment. And there have been so many more I've been lucky to cover, even recently seen Boris Johnson, the, the current British Prime Minister for now, uh, talking to Leo Vradker in government buildings. They're all they're all big events you'd be interested in seeing. And, and it's great to have a chance to look at not only just to sometimes ask questions, but to see the body language, the interaction and, and to get that, that sense of the occasion. And interpret that as well, maybe for colour pieces as opposed to straight fact pieces. Yeah, because people, it's a bit like people these days, if they're reading sports coverage, they don't just want the score of the match because that's out there instantly. They want more of the background what people are like, what's thought of them, how they interact with others. And, and that's a huge part of political coverage. And is there much competition then between the various political correspondents to get the story? Because there are so many correspondents from various mediums, particularly online now, as well as radio, television and newspapers. So it can be quite cutthroat, can it? Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely that. There's, <laughs> a, there's, there's always rivalry of, of who can get the story first. And that's a natural part of journalism. But I would say there is a camaraderie as well between all the political correspondents. We are a sort of group of our own. And I think as well, sadly, we've lost too many in recent years because of the pressure on the media sector. Some really good colleagues have just reti- have retired or lost their jobs. And that's been probably upsetting to see. But it's no different. Uh, lots of other industries in, in Ireland that are under pressure. The media is no different there. So when did you decide you wanted to write a book? I, I'd say I, I, it was always in the back of my head, Brida, for, for a couple of years. But I had the idea in my head that I didn't want to start writing until I felt I had got to a certain level of experience where I could do something that would hopefully be valuable. About two years ago, literally, I started on this project on the book about water charge in Irish water. It struck me from talking to people around the Dáil in particular, people said to me, uh, there's a good book in this. Remember Paul Murphy TD actually said it. Really? It was one person, but several others as well suggested there's a much deeper story here and I, I knew the story well. I was interested, but I knew there was lots I didn't know. So I thought this is this is something I could hopefully bring something to. And is it because you felt it was going to be such a defining moment in politics when people looked back and in the history of the country, essentially? Is that the reason why you, you went after it? Uh, two two reasons. One is that, 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 that I can never remember an issue that caused such division where I remember, you know, even cycling down O'Connell Street and there's people lying on the road blocking 
traffic and protesting against water charges. There was huge demonstrations around the country outside the Dáil, TDs trapped in the Dáil. Then you had Jobstown with Joan Burton trapped in her car and her assistant for a long time. So that that was the dram. I thought this was, I have to get to the bottom of some of this. And second was, I thought this will come back again um, we will have incidents in the future about our water service because the infrastructure is so is so old. And you're right, because it hasn't gone away. No, uh, you know, it, it's it's been a coincidence. But in, you know, in the couple of weeks since the book came out, we've had the biggest ever boiled water notice, which is, you know, in Dublin and, and Meath and Kildare, which has just been lifted. But it's just an example of, of the problems in our water system. And, you know, it was leak slip in the last couple of weeks. It could be somewhere else very soon. You just don't quite know where the problem will show up. So once you decided then you were going to write the book, how did you approach it? Okay, so it was my first book. And here's where I have to give you an honourable mention because I was looking for every kind of bit of inspiration I could get. And particularly when I got to the writing stage, the heavy writing, I found the the podcast that that you do in Inside Books were actually very useful. Listening to authors about how they approached it and the difficulties they had and what time they got up in the morning to do it. I didn't get up in the morning. I stayed writing late at night. That was my, (laughs) I I find that easier rather than the the people doing 5 a.m. starts and so on. So, but I found, I found that kind of stuff very helpful. Um, But I had a structure, I'd drawn up a plan of maybe 120 people I wanted to interview on the the side of government opposition. It was a lot, but I I deliberately probably aimed for more than I would get because I knew there would some some would refuse. Um, But I I, from working in Leinster House for quite a while, I knew most of the people and I was I was fairly hopeful that most would agree. And as it turned out, I got a I got a very good degree of cooperation and that made a huge difference to the book. And there were others who I know wanted to help but didn't want to go on the record. So how did you approach that? Okay, so like if you read Irish political books over the years and there's been many very, very good ones which were a sort of model for me. But one stylistic thing that I suppose I was keen on was to try and get as many interviews on the record as possible um, because... I've seen it in journalism and I I do off the record quotes all the time because you have to sometimes say to people, give me the information and I won't attribute it to you because I know it it will compromise you if, if you're if you're linked to this. But for the book, I thought, look, this was five years ago. It's history now. It's recent history. I want to try and get everyone on the record so people can see who said what. And also, I think it keeps people honest. If they know that they their words will be quoted, they're less likely to tell you something that's a bit dubious or that is an unfair personal attack maybe on somebody. So I got in the end about 66 people on the record and I would estimate then maybe another 40 people who were off the record and their contributions are in the book. But they, that that was the, the last resort. I tried to get everyone I could on the record. And it was a combination of face-to-face interviews and phone interviews. Yeah, that's and, right. And how did you catalogue all of that then? So I, I suppose, look, the technology there for people writing books in a way is brilliant. You know, you have you have things like uh, like Google Drive where you can, for example, you can set up your folders, you can save all your audio interviews, you can... You can um, have your your interview plans and so on. I had another service called Evernote, which is brilliant for for notes. I ended up with about I think a thousand different notes on. And how does that work? Um, it's literally it's literally like a note taking service, and you can tag then your Irish Water notes. Uh, I would use it for my general work anyway, but I ended up with about maybe a thousand notes from various things that I came across, and then. I eventually drew up a, a structure for the book inspired by listening to stuff like your own podcast and others. 
authors just saying you need to have a plan to work to and I then kept changing that plan as I as I went through the book. And was that difficult then when things did change that you found you changed one piece but then that meant you had to change 10 or 20 other pieces? It wasn't too difficult because I, I basically created a list of characters that I, that I figured would tell different elements of the story and then I came up with the idea which isn't a very original one of, of playing one side off against the other so the sort of rough structure That's of the what you book, do every day in your, yeah. in your political job <laughs> the, the rough structure of the book is, is effectively it's shown how people at the start who were powerless became powerful and the powerless people are the protesters so you have a chapter on protesters then a chapter on the government and the people in Irish water planning this move you're back to the protesters then you're back to what was done on the government to Irish water side and the book sort of jumps back and forth like that and you can see that the arc is the government are all powerful at the start and at the end they're very powerless and and effectively you know losing seats and having to refund a million people. And in addition to the interviews then you trial transcripts you had freedom of information requests government reports various websites lots of newspapers again you know, a huge amount of material and research that you then have to condense into a book. Yeah, I was very lucky there, Breda, because, you know, when you're working on a book, what you really want is is as much material as possible. So I'll just mention some of them briefly. I had huge assistance from Freedom of Information Officers and the likes of government departments and Irish Water. I got like thousands of documents from them I was able to go through them and you won't be I hope bored reading the book you're seeing references to them they're in at the back of the the appendices but it gave me the little snippets and things to back up stuff that so other people So there wasn't as much saying. redacted in those documents than there was there as we no, usually see No, in the I, was, I was very lucky because uh, the way freedom of information works is once an issue has, has happened then there's less need for redaction and you release more information. So that the passage of time helped there. I was able to get, for example, cabinet memos. So when the decision was being made on water charges and on metering the country, I was able to get those memos under the Freedom of Information Act and that gave gave me great material. So a lot of people might say, well then, OK, so this is a record of what happened. We saw what happened. We saw the news. Mm-hmm. We read the newspapers. So is there much new in this? Were you able to uncover other new material? It, well, I did get the warning from talking to other authors before the, mat- the, the book started. Don't write a cuttings job because who cares about a, a nicely written summary of events? So... There's 61 chapters. I deliberately made as big an effort as I could that there's something new in each of them. Um, I'll like a tiny flavour of it. I I talked to lots of the people in the protest groups who wouldn't have spoken in general to the media before, and they have fascinating personal stories of why they got involved. There's all those documents and so on. I talked to the likes of Leo Vradker, Michal Martin, Joan Burton, Paul Murphy to get what they really thought at the time. So the whole idea is it's it's the story you didn't know about water charges. I, I would be confident that, that people reading it will get a lot of surprises. And I know talking to people in Irish Water and the protest groups, they will learn things about each other when that they, they, didn't when they know. read the book because they, they only knew things from their side and I tried to give a, a rounded perspective. How long did it take to write? It was about the, the process. The whole book was about two years. The actual writing of it, I would say... I probably did in, in a concentrated six month really? burst um, sort of at night time and at weekends um, and doing it literally chapter by chapter 
Um, and the, is that how you did a chapter? Went from one chapter to the next? You did it in a logical order? And, I, and I'd literally tried to write some chapters I had written maybe in advance, but I tried most of them were written from one to the other and, and one linked to the other using that that structure I had I had brought up. But my wife, Siobhan, I should give a mention to as well, was very helpful here because as I was writing the chapters, I was uh, handing them to her and getting her feedback as we went. So, you know, I got it. There was a great team in Mercer Press but Siobhan was the first line editor um, after that then. Probably the toughest line editor, was well, she? <laughs> well, uh, she certainly would give me very frank feedback. And I've learned in journalism, you have to listen when people tell you that makes no sense. I don't like that. That's wrong. You know, you have to listen because they are in a way the voice of a reader and you have to take account of that. And you were working obviously full time, uh, you know, at the same time as writing this. So how were you fitting in the writing? Yeah, so so I was lucky in that I could do maybe interviews during my lunch break and so on. Um, I would have done interviews during my holidays. Um, I would have gone down to Cork, you know, during the Halloween midterm break to meet protesters in Cove and in place like Toker in Cork City. And and again, so I fitted in wherever I could, phone interviews as well. And then I was quite lucky. Sometimes people like John Mullins, the head of board, gosh, I interviewed him for the Sunday Business Post because he's involved in lots of big developments now. And then at the end, I said, John, do you mind talking to me as well about water charges? So sometimes there was a happy, a happy marriage between the two. And because when you write a novel, when you're writing fiction, you can base yourself in a room with your structure and sit down and write. But when you write nonfiction, uh, or, you know, a, a logical book, as you've done here, you really have to get out and about and talk to people. They're quite different. Yeah, you really do. And and I've learned over the years in journalism, you know, you may think you know a story and that you have a document and so on. But unless you talk to the person who came up with the plan and the, the people who were involved in the decisions and the protesters as well, you really don't know what exactly happened. And you get the colour and, and their life experience. And those interviews were hugely valuable. I couldn't, there's lots of things I had to leave out, but it just gave me a much better understanding. And was it easier then, because you're writing like this every day, was it easier then to write the book as opposed to going home to try to write a novel, for example? Yeah, I, I think because, yeah, I am in the, the, the as people would hopefully believe, the non-fiction business, you know, that <laughs> whatever I write has to be something that's actually happened. And, and I made a big effort in the book. There aren't really any conspiracy theories. There's lots of stuff I was told about what might have happened and what could have. But I just went with what I could prove and what was a, a an honest account of events. And when I did all that, then it went into Mercer Press, who are my publisher, and I'm very grateful to them for their and, support. And on that, actually, had you approached the publisher before you started writing? Yes, I had. I'd drawn up a, a draft of, of a sort of a draft outline of the book with eight chapters as it as as was my original idea at the time. And and it's and I'd, I'd written a sample chapter on Jobstown um which I thought was an incredibly dramatic event where the then Thonish Joan Burton was was surrounded by protesters for quite a long time and it was a it was a big controversy. So my idea was to start the book on Jobstown to get people right into it and then go right back to, to where it all started and, and trace it from there. What for you then was the most difficult part of the writing process? Um I, I think the, the the longest part, and I suppose it was the most difficult, but I still enjoyed it, was when, when the book was, my first draft was ready, which was around last January, and it went off to Mercer Press. I met that deadline, which is, I think, around the 6th of January at some some stage, and it went to Patrick O'Donoghue, who was the, the Mercer Press um, agent, who 
I first met and had sort of, in fairness to him, helped me get accepted and get a chance to publish. He then, you know, did a did a once over it. It went to a guy called Noel O'Regan then, who was the, the main editor in the book. And Noel went through it with a, a tooth comb. And was and that then, difficult then for you to well, take? Or, or were there many changes they were suggesting? Yeah, there, there was lots of stuff cut out because that's, that's not relevant. That interferes with the flow. You know, little corrections, questions. Does that make sense? So, I, you know, there were literally thousands of, of changes to what I had submitted, but they were all for the, the benefit of the book. Um, it went to a, a proofreader, um, a, a, a Jennifer Armstrong. She did the same. Another woman, a senior executive, Wendy Logan, Mercer Press. She also went through it. So it, each of those people were sort of refining the book and, and asking me, you know, probably one of the biggest tasks was to to source everything. You know, they, there's, I think, maybe 30 pages of footnotes. So every... There is, and every, it's quite meticulously detailed. But yeah. again, interesting for, for anybody who wants to go back and be able to reference anything. And that's important in a book like this. It is. And, and like, for example, there's references in there even to YouTube footage. So so you're you're reading the book about a, a protest or when the Garda station was under siege out in Coolock in North Dublin. There's actual footage of that which I use in the book and it is referenced so you can go and look it up and look it back and it just gives hopefully a bit more credibility to the book that you can see where all of this is coming from. And In Deep Water is the name. Where did that come from? I suppose just my experience as 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 anyone would have when you're starting off swimming and you know you get that fear of you you jump in the wrong end of the swimming pool and you realize you're, you're in a lot trouble. of trouble <laughs> and you need to splash around and get out of there pretty quickly so it's just that that universal notion of being in in big big trouble and I felt it was as 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 snappy a title as I could think of because that's exactly where Irish Water ended up. And the reviews are obviously out at the moment. Um, you're a first time author, so how did it feel to be reading them? It 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 is. It's I I I, I was very fortunate in that the, you know the reviews so far in the likes of Sunday Business Post, my own paper, but also that well, they're going to be nice to you now, they, Michael. They, yeah, of course, well, yeah, you would hope and so <laughs> yeah. on. But uh, they they did get actually a guy called Andrew Lynch, an outside reviewer, to do it. You know because there was that thing of well, we can't be seen as just biased towards our own our own staff member, but also the Irish Independent, um, the Irish Times, the the reviews have been very positive in general and that's that's great I, I do hear people maybe on your show and others saying I never read reviews but I, I find that almost hard to believe you know how how would someone not read a review when, when, they, when they've done a book and they want to see well what do people think Yeah I agree with you and I'm always amazed when people say they don't because yeah. my initial instinct would be absolutely I want to yeah. read it from top to end but I suppose the easier ones are easier to read than, than that's, uh, that's the true. negative ones so what's next then have you got plans for another book? I, I think at the moment a, a long hiatus uh, <laughs> need a little break uh, yeah, yeah I, I think um, uh, they, like they, it's been a very intense two years to combine the book with the job and so on so like and it's even even the the whole experience of launching the book and talking to people about it that that is that's a, a real learning experience as well so I think for the moment we're facing into a general election pretty soon so the the folks is is on the work with the Sunday Business Post but I, I definitely would recommend that they experience to to people who have that desire to write a book because you 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 know you I thought I knew a lot about journalism and interviewing but it would have helped even my interviewing skills to have talked to all those people in, in on such a concentrated subject you you actually do learn a lot as opposed to even your regular day-to-day interviewing and I was going to say do you have any other you know that's a great piece of advice have you anything else that you'd say to somebody who is starting out in that sense 
I I think I think the, the the number one thing is it's like anything in life. It is it is work. If you if you put in the effort and the work into something, hopefully you'll get a good result at the at the at the end of it. Um, in terms of a non-fiction subject, I I do think you need to try and reach out to as many people. There's there's lots of people who are probably out there who know that I contacted them and they didn't want to talk, but I did contact them and ask them. And that's, uh, I think, Phil Hogan, for example, he'd be one of the few senior people I didn't get to talk to, but I, I went to him the, in, in Leinster House. I went to him in Strasbourg, in Brussels, you know, at various him. times asking him. Uh, there was another dinner in um, in Dublin where I tried to get him and uh, he said uh, he said that it was all water under the bridge and he managed to dash out before I could <laughs> intercept him on the and way. And why didn't he take part, do you think? I think uh, I, I can only surmise, my, my theory would be that it, it, all of this was happening while Phil was campaigning for a second term as European Commissioner and I would say that the last thing he wanted was a book out on water charges and looking back at not one of the proudest moments of his career when he was environment minister and threatening to cut people's water to a trickle if they didn't pay. That that really didn't work well for him at the time. He was keeping the head down. Yeah, so I think I think he decided discretion was the better part of valour. But in fairness, he did a very good campaign and he's there for a, he for a second he term is, now indeed. as Trade Commissioner. And in terms of writing as well, just finally, would you ever try your hand at fiction? I have to say, I, 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 you, you know your strengths and weaknesses as a, as a, as a writer. I would never say never, but I, I would be much more confident on nonfiction. Um, I admire people who can write brilliant fiction and create worlds, but I, I, I find, you know, that that's where I'm strongest is in nonfiction and and what I enjoy. It's my sort of my daily diet. So we just need another huge uh, controversy that you can get your teeth into now for your for your next book. Yeah, I, I do think we'll be waiting a while until <laughs> until something approaches those heights. But but obviously life is full of twists and turns. Who who would have thought Brexit a couple of years ago would be like it is? And I think Tony Connolly, by the way, has done a great book there. But there there's undoubtedly going to be other incidents in the future that will engage people. Who knows? Watch this space. Exactly. Michael Brennan, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books. And you'll find my book in deep water in your local bookshop now the next episode of inside books will be out soon just keep an eye on our twitter feed for details the handle is at inside books ire and if you want to hear other episodes just search for us on soundcloud or itunes and don't forget to leave us a rating or review i'm brida brown until next time keep reading inside books is a unique media production 